Let's pray. God, we, as we thank and praise you for who you are, so we delight in the mystery of the mysterious wonderfulness of your relationship. And we ask this morning that you would help us to be able to see what that means for us as Christians in our daily life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if we click on to the next slide, um, I think we use this one at Easter, this picture. Uh, sorry, of a picture by Elizabeth Wang we used on our Easter card. It's the same style, if you see what I mean. Um, she's got a fabulous bunch of images, if you go to Radiant Light. If, if this appeals to you, there's a whole series of images. She's a contemplative and expresses her faith in her art. They are quite powerful pieces that express the spiritual life that is going on. This one is entitled, Through Christ We Can Be Drawn Into the Ceaseless Giving and Receiving of Love Within the Divine Persons. And on this gift day, the week after Trinity Sunday, the life of God and our participation in the mystery and beauty of the Trinitarian life is the subject I'd like to spend a few moments thinking about. But if someone was to ask you, what is distinctive about the Christian faith? I wonder what you would say. What is distinctive about the Christian faith? You might say the incarnation. God taking flesh and being part of his creation. You might point to the fact that not only that, but we believe in a personal saviour, Jesus, who died on the cross to save us from our sins. The third aspect that might not come as quickly is God as Trinity. For Jews and Muslims, the idea of Jesus as God is offensive. For if he was God, then God is not one. I think it's so easy for us to, um, our imagination, our, our understanding, to get drawn to one aspect of God's being. And we can be, be lazy in our understanding and in our theology and perhaps overemphasize one aspect, one dimension of God's being to the detriment of others. And there's a danger in doing that. Let me give you an example of the danger of doing that. On such a lovely summer's day as this, we look at our gardens and say, fantastic, isn't that beautiful? God made this. It's wonderful. It's so clear. There's, there's patterns in here. There's order in here. This speaks to me of God. Well, let me tell you about the 18th century theologian William Paley, who, who looked at that and was so impressed by the order of creation that he said, that speaks to me of the existence of God. Because of the intricacy and the complexity of these things, I think it points to there being a designer for this universe. In fact, he, he then looked, he looked at a watch and said, look at all the different complex parts that come together to make this work. In the same way then, what about the human eye or the human heart? There are so many intricacies about who we are as human beings that it requires a designer to put all these complexities together. And I think that designer, said William Paley, is, must have been a person, and that person was God. He likened God to a watchmaker who winds up creation at the start and says, there we go. 
a wonderful analogy. What a fantastic understanding of God. We can be so sympathetic towards that. And yet this is the God of Richard Dawkins. This is a deist God. If we simply hold on to that aspect, a deist God who is unmoved by the suffering of human beings. A God who was active at one point, but is inactive in our world today. That is not what we as Christians believe. We believe that God is an all-giving God who gave himself at the beginning of creation and goes on giving of God's self throughout all of time and eternity. When it comes to the Trinity, therefore, and understanding the Trinity and the mystery and wonder of that, John's Gospel is where you need to turn to. And so I clearly advocate the Tuesday house group who've spent nearly a year, Anastasia's smiling, looking at John's Gospel. So they'll probably be the experts on understanding God and their interrelationship between Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, the Creator, the Son, and the indwelling power of God. I love it sometimes I'm reading Cameron some stories um, when he sits still for a minute. And um, he confuses Jesus and God. The two, he kind of says, what did God say next? Um, which, is a, which is a great thing. I think John in some ways in his gospel could be accused of the same thing. We see God, the Spirit, and Jesus. And the bit in which we read in John 15, John 16, the Son is sent by the Father, but then the, the Son sends the Spirit. And the Spirit was there at the beginning of all time. And so a weaving of the interrelatedness and the mutuality and the interpenetration is why I put this picture on the slide, because it might be as helpful as what I say this morning in terms of God's being in three persons. But I'm running ahead of myself when I say mutuality and God um, sharing in the mutual interpenetration. I want us to go back to look to church history to see where we have got our understanding of Trinity from, just for a moment. If we put up this quotation from Gregory of Nazianzus, interesting, in 380 AD, he said this, that there was a gradual revelation of the Trinity. The Old Testament preached the Father openly, and the Son more obscurely. The New Testament revealed the Son and hinted at the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit dwells in us and is revealed more clearly to us. It was not proper to preach the Son openly while the divinity of the Father had not yet been admitted, nor was it proper to accept the Holy Spirit before the divinity of the Son had been acknowledged. Instead, by gradual advances, partial ascents, we should move forward and increase in clarity so the light of the Trinity should shine. Suggesting, this is not divine revelation, this is theology, suggesting the recognition of the full divinity of Jesus needs to be the first step. Recognizing the second step is the full divinity of the Spirit. And then there's a formulation of the relationship and the mutuality needs to be worked out. There's a man called Tertullian who largely framed the debate that the church had about God as three persons. Tertullian Tertullian lived between 150 and 220 in the city of Carthage. He was a convert from Augustine, And so he took on a lot of Augustinian ideas. He was somebody that came to translate the Bible from Greek to Roman and the first to grapple with with these big ideas. It was Tertullian who gave us the idea of persona. 
that God is three different persona or auras of personhood. Tertullian said that God had the persona of the Father, the persona of the Son, and the persona of the Spirit. We have personas, and so does God. Tertullian also gave us the word Trinitas. Trinity does not appear in the Bible. So this is a theological understanding of God. Trinitas, a Latin word that was used a hundred years after the Bible was written in Greek. And Tertullian also gave us the word substantia. Tertullian believed, he himself believed that God the Son and God the Father were of the same substance. So having that introduction in those terms, if we turn to the three classic creeds that the church has got, it's interesting in baptism and in other occasions we say together the Apostles' Creed, not written by the Apostles, but around about the time of the Apostles. And these creeds simply say, we believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in God, the Father, Almighty, sorry, We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And thirdly, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it kind of stops there. I believe in these three persons. Then we have the Nicene Creed, 325. There's a big debate as regards how to understand Jesus. Was Jesus fully God? Could could God die on the cross if Jesus, as Jesus did? Was, was, Jesus fully God? Was there something in some way that God allowed that to happen but yet remained unmovable because God was God? This debate went on until the creed, Nicene Creed, made it explicit. And look at these words as they go on the slide. It says, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Look at the next line. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God of true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, of one substance with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Spirit and was made man. A creed presenting Jesus as fully God. And finally, we have the Athanasian Creed. And the debate here was about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Was the Holy Spirit significant enough to be called a third person of the Trinity? Because often we have, and I think we still have the tendency to put it in hierarchical terms. The Father, the Son, and yeah, of course there's the Spirit. But the Spirit can be left out. The Spirit can be overlooked. We think it starts with the Father, the Creator. But again, we remember the Spirit was there at the beginning of creation. The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit that fills us and empowers our lives and opens our eyes and hearts. And so we see some words from the Athanasian Creed. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost, But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, all is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Click on to the next slide again, because we are invited to participate, to be part of the divine life. And I think that's what this picture 
shows us and helps us understand. So what we're saying this morning is that we are Trinitarian Christians. That God cannot be objectified. God is revealed in revelation and is known in relationships. God is known in relationship. These formulation of words that the early church came to came out of their understanding and experience of God. The reading of their ancient scriptures and their experience of the Holy Spirit at work in them. The language of persona. We live in an age where we seem to be like an atomized individual. But actually, we are only that person in relationship with others. That is who we are. And we each have several persona. Many of you know me simply as the minister of Camborne Church and what that means. But Emma knows me as her husband. My children know as their father. That would be a different relationships in which I am also. And then as a child, if you went back to Stonehaven, they'd say, oh, I remember Peter Wood. Oh, yes. <laughs> they'd tell you some stories that you wouldn't know about. And again, another aspect to making who I am. And all of that in relationship is who I am. It shapes me for who I am standing today. It will go on shaping me into who I am becoming. We are who we are in relationship with one another. And so we see in this picture again and in God, the mutuality and the interdependence of the Trinity relating one to the other. The second thing we can see is that the Trinitarian relationship of mutuality speaks to us of community. The fundamental of community. And it's erroneous and dangerous for us as Christians theologically to put too much emphasis on the individual. If God is Trinity, we need to appreciate that better before we start overemphasizing the personal experience ahead of relational living. We're called to relationships. We're called to experience God in relationship. We're called to share relationship with one another. I say that on gift day. The third thing, as I thought about this, what does Trinity mean for us today, is a really important thing. Because I think this is where William Paley got it wrong. We're not called simply to be observers. We can enjoy beauty. We observe things around us. But that is, that is not sufficient for us as Christians. Some people talk about imitating Christ as the dynamic for us in our lives. And there's been some great books written, Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. The imitation of Christ. And yet that still seems to be from an observation looking out in perspective. Whereas if you look at that picture and see the person in the middle of the, of the, of the Trinity, that is us. We are invited to participate is the dynamic. Participation is our place in the, in the divine life. To participate in divine relationships. As Christians, we are incorporated into the fellowship of the divine life. Paul talks about being in Christ. In Christ our life is hidden and God looks and sees Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3, Paul talks, I want to know Christ and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings and therefore to know the power of his resurrection at work in my life as I participate in the divine life. It's not simply about observation. It's not simply about imitation. But because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, because of God's mysterious love from the beginning of time, 
we are invited, drawn in to participate in the divine life. Our part in it, again, is illustrated in John's Gospel. The Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he, the Spirit, will receive from what he will make known to you. Participation. Sometimes it takes a wee bit of a challenge to get us singing in the morning. And yet that's participation. How good it is when we do participate. Sometimes faith, uh, prayer seems tricky and yet we're called to participate and to articulate words to God. On a Sunday such as this, giving, we're invited to participate as a step of faith in our participation in the life of God, in this community, in this place, at this time. Participation is what the Holy Trinity calls us to be. To be part of something. Be part of God. Faith is participating in, in what is yet to be. And so on this gift day, we come to the all-giving God. The God who breathed the universe into life. Who gave his image to everything that was made. We come to the Jesus who poured out his life for us. Who gave of himself. We come to the Holy Spirit who gives us the gifts of God, that God's love might be kindled in our hearts, and the gifts of peace and joy and patience and kindness and so on. We participate in the mutual all-givingness of God, in the relationship of God. That is what we're called to. God's self-giving is fundamental to life. And we are invited to participate in that divine life. Let's pray. God of the high heavens, Christ of the deep earth, Spirit of the flowing waters, Trinity of love, you have offered your love to us. Here we pledge our love to you. Strengthen us in our desire and breathe into our bodies the passion of your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus, to whom we commit ourselves. Amen.